I actually wanted to start with, you know, Fitness Australia is probably one of the most criticized fitness bodies in Australia. And you, being the face of it, the CEO, how you, you cop a lot of it. You would. I imagine you, your colleagues, the company. How do you like mentally even deal with all of the tsunami of criticism that comes your way? Or is it maybe overblown? Uh, Alex, there is a couple of um, uh, usual suspects who are the main sources of the criticism. Yes. And uh, you, you have a choice when you receive criticism of whether you give it any credibility, if it's based on fact or it's just based on other agendas and things like that. Uh, one of the beauties of coming into this role, not from the sector, is that a lot of the criticism directed to Fitness Australia, and I guess me as the face of it, um, I don't take personally. Uh, having said that, as we're now moving down some interesting reforms in the area, there are some people that are starting to get, you know, quite uh, personal in some of their comments and, and asserting all kinds of different things. But to be quite honest, at my stage of life, and having been a CEO for over 20 years, uh, it doesn't really phase me. What, what I guess concerns me more is that it's much the same as uh, our mate over in the States, the ex-president or soon to be ex-president, who makes all kinds of statements um, and they get, they get some sort of, I guess, traction with people that don't bother to ask questions themselves and find out the truth of the situation. But it comes with a job as well. So no big, no big deal. How did you, how do you, did you, have you always had that mentality coming in? Is that like, how did you develop that? Because I think that's a skill of in of itself to be able to manage, because everybody gets it, right? We're all human beings, whether we're business owners or just, yeah. you know, brothers and sisters and sons and mothers, right? What's your operating framework for dealing with criticism? Where did that begin for you? Uh, look, it's something that you, um, I mean, when I was your age, I probably would have taken a lot more seriously. Yeah. I mean, you still take criticism seriously, but it's it's differentiating the, per, the personal from the professional. Sure. At the end of the day, if it, if it becomes personal criticism, there's really only one person's opinion of you as an individual that counts, and that's your own. That's your own self-awareness and your own mindfulness. And if you take, then the next step out of that is your family and your friends. After that, you know, we, we live in a, a highly... Uh, I guess um, open world and social media has its has its pluses and its minuses, and I don't engage in social media um, communication that is one-sided or that is really just put out there to inflame situations or it's put out there just to antagonise or provoke. Mm. I try and stick to the facts, um, but also it's like I was I was doing one yesterday with with some people and. Um, you know, I've only been here two years uh, and I don't come from the sector, but I do have a lot of experience in the not-for-profit sector and organisational change. And I uh, I report to the board and I do what the board tells me to do. So people will attack me because I'm the mouthpiece. Mm. But, you know, it doesn't, to be quite honest, if it's, I'll take on board genuine constructive criticism. If it's just people having a go and throwing grenades, I'm not really interested, to be quite honest. For sure, because you only have so much energy and emotion in a day, right? You, you got to be very careful with where you spend it. Um, I wonder to, to flip on to maybe a more optimistic note, what are you excited about launching, releasing, announcing through Fitness Australia in the coming one to two years? What has you most energized that you want to share with the world that they don't know about? 
One of the things I've learned about this sector, uh, despite the, the conversation we just had about the negativity that's out there, um, this sector is actually a very positive sector. And on the good, if you look at the good side of it, everyone can win without being someone having to lose. So if we can grow the sector and the things we do with our, when I say us, uh, you know, our members, but also the wider sector, I'm not just talking about Fitness Australia members, but the exercise community has got a huge uh, benefit uh, and positivity to add to the wider community. And one of the things that I've learned and that strikes me as passing strange is that why is it that the mental health sector has been very vocal in, in uh, telling government and health departments and the wider community of the importance of exercise? We've known the importance of exercise for a very long time. I mean, I've experienced mental health issues since uh, being a teenager. Mm. And I've always dealt with those in a range of different uh, strategies, but um, starting with exercise, you know, years ago and literally years ago. When I started, uh, the reason why I sort of really got into surfing a lot was because I found the, the being out in the water and, and having that peacefulness and serenity was a really good way of, of coping with uh, mental health issues. Um, later on, when I moved away from the coast, I started running and that started from just part-time jogging to then being a marathon runner and spending a lot of time by myself running, you know, all, all times a day, et cetera. And you find that when the endorphins kick in and those who understand what I'm talking about will completely uh, appreciate what I'm saying when the endorphins kick in and you're, and you're running out in the country, that, that peace and serenity again comes to you. When I've had very difficult uh, periods, I've had to rely on medication to help me through some very difficult times. But, you know, recently, of most recent times, I'm now back into exercising um, and I go to the gyms and all that sort of gear. So that background, I guess, is, is really why I find it interesting that we've relied on mental health organisations to talk about the benefit of exercise. All through this COVID disaster that's hit the community and our sector particularly, we've had politicians, chief health officers and all these people saying, get out and exercise. It's one of the reasons you can get outside. There's a linkage there. So one of the things that really excites me, so you just park that that those comments for a minute. Now we know back in November 2018, the federal government signed up to a World, a World Health Organization campaign, international campaign, to get more people more active. And in Australia, that translates to the government signing up in 2018 to get 15% more Australians more active by 2030, which is why that banner behind me talks about more Australians more active more often, because there's two, there's two, I guess, really good objectives out of that. There's the altruistic objective in getting more Australians more active and the benefits that come from more people being physically active. But then if we get 15% more Australians more active, just on the current 20% of people in Australia who have a gym membership, that means another 800,000 potential people joining a gym, joining a boot camp, using a personal trainer, whatever. So there's a growth for our businesses but also there is a more altruistic benefit that appeals to me of developing a more healthy community and all the, all the pluses and benefits that come from that to share. So I'm really excited about the ability to reposition the fitness sector. One of the things that's come out loud and clear because of COVID is that us as a sector, and we may not like this, but the reality is that we are not well regarded or respected by key decision makers stakeholders, policy writers. You know, you have to ask yourself, why were we shut down with cafes and bars and casinos and cinemas? 
why weren't we considered, why weren't we consulted? Why didn't the government acknowledge the importance of exercise and therefore the importance of working with us to get it, to keep our facilities open, to let personal trainers still operate their boot camps outdoors? We know the, the value of it, but we weren't, we weren't consulted. We were just shut down on 24 hours notice. And since then, we've been working very hard with the various state health departments, with politicians, et cetera, to demonstrate to them the reason why exercise and our facilities and our trainers should be considered an essential service because of the role that exercise plays, not just in addressing physical health issues, but mental health issues as well. And it's interesting, I, I, I'm in very close contact with UK Active, which is a similar organisation to us in the States, uh, sorry, in the UK, and through Ursa, other countries as well. And this, this isn't unique to Australia. This is, a, this is an argument that is now international. And I think really that if I come back to Australia, the sector here in Australia has let its, has let its position and its role be defined by others rather than arguing very strongly for our, the benefits of our sector itself. So COVID has been an absolute disaster but it's also given us the opportunity to perhaps if we can come together and work together and, and rather than throw rocks at each other, we can actually come and work together on common ground to reposition the sector into an area where we can be classified as an essential service and be more closely aligned with allied health than where we currently are. We've got to get ourselves away from retail, from cinemas, from hospitality, uh, bars and cafes into where we are, where we should be, which is a health, physical exercise um, mindset. Okay, that's that's great. How is that actually being executed to demand or earn the respect of those government officials and then to then make it potentially an essential service and then potentially an allied health professional in the future? Maybe that's where it leads. What is actually being done to create that. Okay, well, there's a number of things that are being done, and we shouldn't kid ourselves this is going to happen overnight. This yeah. is going to be a work in progress. It'll take some time and it may take longer than my tenure here at, at Fitness Australia, but hopefully we can we can start the process going. There's a whole range of things with this, Alex. The first thing, uh, and in no particular order, um, we've, we must maintain standards of professional development. If we want to be taken seriously as a profession, we must make sure that people involved in this profession maintain standards, constantly improve standards and maintain professional development. And that means that exercise professionals, personal trainers, whatever, have to commit to ongoing education and professional development. There is no other profession that I can think of that, that, is, that is respected and has credibility in the community that doesn't uh, involve that process. Now, I'm not saying that the current education and professional development is perfect. It's probably far from it. And one of the things that Fitness Australia has been criticised for in the past is the, I guess, uh, some of the CECs that uh, are available and some of some courses or programs that aren't recognised for, for CEC accreditation. So that we are working very closely with our my, my people in Melbourne uh, to try and, I guess, broaden what sort of options can be available for recognition as a CEC. But I don't resire, or neither should the organisation, from the absolute need for professional development to keep that going. 
The second thing that we need to look at, uh, and this is why we had the, the survey uh, a couple of weeks ago, which closed a couple of weeks ago, really exploring the appetite for a potential regulatory framework in our sector, because every other allied health yes. is regulated. Correct. Now, regulation is, is, a, is a really difficult word because when people think regulation, straight away people think about bureaucracy, red tape, punitive actions, sanctions, and, and, and it has a very negative perception. So I would prefer to move regulation as a, as a word across to more accreditation, whereby services become accredited by a independent body. Now that may or may not be Fitness Australia. That's, that's all in the, in the mix, I guess. But we have to subject ourselves to, a, to an external governance accreditation regulation because when I, when I spoke to the health departments, uh, when we were working out COVID safe protocols to reopen our gyms, the health department would say to me, or the bureaucrat would say to me, yeah, that's really good, Barry, really good to see that you've got these COVID, COVID safe protocols, really good, I like what you're doing. What are you gonna do if your members don't abide by those protocols? And I would say, well, uh, we will deregister that individual or that, that particular business. Oh, that's good. What does that mean? Well, it means we deregister them. What does it actually mean? Well, actually it means no more than that. We just deregister. So in other words, there is, there is no sanction in place. There's no, I guess, uh, incentive for a business or an individual exercise professional to abide by those. We would hope that they would because looking after their consumers and their, their members and 99% and of them would, but there is no ability to sanction. And the message that came back very clearly from those health departments, from the ACCC, from the discussions I've had with the Chief Health Officer of Allied Health is really, if you wanna be taken seriously, you've got to come under some form of governance. Mm. Now, if we look at that, there's two ways you can go by to introduce those sort of governance. And I'll use regulation, although I don't wanna use it in the, in the negative term. But if we, there's two ways you can regulate any sector. You can go to the government and say, we as a sector, want to be regulated. We want to be held accountable. We want our consumers to have confidence. We want, you know, you as a government body, policy writers, please regulate us. Now that is fraught with danger because the government may pick up a regulatory model from somewhere else mm. and impose that on our sector. Sure. And that would be, I think, potentially difficult and potentially quite counter counterproductive. The only, only country in the world that is regulated at the moment, because our, our sector is not regulated internationally, the only country where it is regulated at the moment is South Africa. And it was brought in uh, about 12 months ago to address poor practice. In other words, bad behaviour by businesses, by exercise professionals and stuff like that. The other way of, of introducing regulation is to go through a process whereby you work with a sector, you work with your members, you work with would-be members, uh, you work with other key external stakeholders, which could be private health, it could be um, uh, insurers and stuff like that, to develop up a self-regulatory model. And then you, and you get, you get buy-in on that from, uh, from the sector. And then you go to the government and say, okay, we as a sector have developed this as a regulatory model. We support this. We want you to mandate it. And you, you take that to one individual state or territory and if they endorse it, then you'll find that it will start to roll over in all the other states because that's, that's the way that the state structure works in Australia. And by that, you're developing a, a, a model which 
has got buy-in, has got support, has got understanding of the sector, and then you go to the government, you get that mandated. And now again, who is that regulator in of the day or what it looks like is, is up for consultation. So when I was uh, at a, a business briefing in, in Perth back in February this year, talking about mandated employment for our businesses and for the Ausreps, um, et cetera, a guy stood up in the audience and said, well, why doesn't Fitness Australia regulate the industry? And I didn't have an answer for that. I'd only been in the role for just over 12 months. And I said, look, I, I, I have to take that on notice. I, I really don't know what that would mean for the sector. Since then, in many other discussions with a whole lot of players, um, that question has been asked a number of times. We need to look at some sort of accreditation, regulation, whatever you want to call it. You know, often I'd be said, there'd be a comment made, you need Fitness Australia, you need to get, you need to get rid of the cowboys. You need to get rid of the cowgirls. They're, they're dragging industry down. Well, what does that mean? What is a cowboy? What's a cowgirl? Who's going to define that? What is a cowboy to one person may be a good operator to another. So there's all these sort of different views that are floating around. And that's why we started that. That's why we did the survey that's just closed. We've had 1,500 uh, respondents. I'll be getting the, the feedback from that or the analysis of that from La Trobe University in the middle of January, and we'll see what it says. It might say, no, we don't want, we don't want any regulation. We don't want any accreditation. I'd be surprised if it does, but it may, it may say that. So where we go from that will be further consultation and, then, and we'll just see where that goes. But I think we need to accept that if we want to be taken seriously, if we want to have consumers to have extra confidence, if we want our age, uh, the age, the my cohort of age cohort to, to take and embrace gyms more, they need to feel confidence that they are going into facility that is meeting certain standards. Those standards are audited, that the people that work in that facility meet a certain standard that those standards are again audited, that the person who uh, works with that particular member, be it a person with special needs, be it a young person, be it an aged person, be it a uh, whatever, that person who is working with them, that exercise professional or personal trainer knows exactly what sort of context I'm coming from as the potential member and how best to address my particular objectives um, that, that we set together with those trainers. So, and then we have to start a bigger advocacy campaign to educate consumers. This is what you should be looking for when you go to a gym. This is what you should be looking for when you consider joining a boot camp. This is what you should be looking for when you're thinking about selecting a personal trainer or an exercise professional, because you are actually giving them, you are entrusting your well-being, both physical and mental, into their hands. That is a huge, uh, um, I guess, obligation on behalf of that individual, that business, to do the right thing, because you would know uh, through the education, Alex, potentially that can go really, really badly. You have somebody's, it's, we really take it for granted because you can severely change somebody's life for the better, physiologically, neurologically, mentally, yep. and you can do the opposite, right? And the big problem is, which you're identifying, and I, and I appreciate that the, I, the issue, a main issue has been identified. It's clear. I think a lot of people didn't even realize that Fitness Australia and you, Barry, and your colleagues are recognizing this as a big hole in the boat. Um, and some people maybe don't think it is, uh, but it seems like the majority of coaches, health professionals, at least I've spoken to in the trenches, they do too. And to give context, it's like, it sounds like, well, we know what needs to be done, but we are still formulating exactly how to get there. And 
I wonder because it's like, okay, who's going to develop the regulatory model? Okay. Is it Fitness Australia? You said maybe. We don't know. Could it be somebody else? Yes, maybe. I wonder because the allied health professionals have a regulating body called the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency. That holds them accountable. You may have heard of it probably. And it's great because if there's misconduct, they have uh, tribunal decisions. They, you can see a list of people who have um, had misconduct and you know, this, this don't work with this person. You can see clearly, okay? The public can see who to avoid. We don't have this in this industry. So high standards and incompetence get muddled. That's everywhere. It's a very wide spectrum of competency and incompetency. So maybe instead of creating something new, is there any uh, merit and validity in going to Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency and facilitating and working with them to become an allied health professional and then getting through them standards, boundaries, and accountability that is needed? Yeah, so let's assume that the surveys that come back indicate there is an appetite for some form of regulatory framework. But it okay. is limited because 1,500 people, like there's there's hundreds of thousands of coaches, right? I mean, it's, the, it's all you got, right? But that is a limited sample size, don't you think? It is a limited sample size, but it, it's, uh, Latrobe Uni tells me anything over 500 Australia-wide has got credibility in terms of, of that sample size. Okay. And, um, you know, if, if, if 90% of that 1,500 comes back with a strong view that there should be done, something done, then we should we should at least explore further. You know, we're not we're not saying okay, bang, we're going to do this because that's not that's not what I believe anyway is, is appropriate. You, it would be counterproductive and potentially suicidal for any industry association, in this case Fitness Australia, to just say okay, we've got ninety percent of fifteen hundred saying this, we're going to go out and do that without without having buy in and getting that you know that consultation. To come back to your question, Alex, you're 100% right. Why would you want to reinvent the wheel? Yeah. If, there are, if there are models out there which are translatable to our sector and our, and our operating contexts and, and where we want to go, then you'd be silly not to learn from those. Whether there's one which is 100% applicable or 80%, whatever, you know, we, we don't know until we start this exploration. So... There's also uh, the NDIS, which you, which you may know of, you know, through the National Disability Screen. They have a, a very light regulatory model, whereby if you want to be registered as a provider under, under, under the NDIA and funded under NDIS, you have to meet certain standards. So that that is also something which it's a very light touch and it might be something we could look at as well, which might give people... People are getting a little bit scared about this. Let's be honest. This, this, we're, we're moving into a different world. And so we don't want to scare people. So it might be we that there is a transitional, there's a stage, a step process whereby we go one step, two step, and then the final step is to become part of allied health, whatever. I mean, one of the problems with allied health, of course, is that I think, you may know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think every other recognised allied health has a university or a tertiary qualification. So we might have to address something along that sort of line. And I'm not for a minute suggesting that exercise professionals or trainers should have uh, university degrees. I think that would be overkill. And, and, I, and I don't subscribe to the view that you have to have a university degree to be able to practice in our 
but it should be it should be something right something oh, comprehensive and detailed right absolutely so so just to digress a minute my background is early childhood okay. and i was involved with putting together the national quality accreditation for early childhood services which is another model we could look at for our sector we could translate that and one of the one of the things that concerned me at the time because i was involved in early childhood had a lot of services that i was responsible for was it was possible to get a cert three in a six week online course only. And those people who had graduated in inverted commas through that course could go into a childcare center and be responsible uh, for children under the age of 15 months. Mm -hmm. Now, I would never let that happen in the services I was running, but that we had, that was, that was the base we were coming from. So we, you do need to have standards and it has to be within the standards you've got, it's also gonna reach a certain standard. So I've just I've just now forgotten my train of thought. Just come back to me with a question you had. Well, actually, if you don't mind, I'll continue off that because we're talking about uh, you know keeping like university education, right? That's maybe overkill. You said okay, well, it needs to be something. Yes, trainers can operate in this industry, social media, in person. Technically, Barry, we all know everybody can do it without a cert three and four. It yeah. happens. It's not a majority; it's a minority, but it happens, okay? And people can make a really good living and actually be effective as well, right? It's not just all bad. However, right now, and it's obviously, but we're biased, you know, we deliver cert threes and fours in fitness. Um, how can then we do a better job? What is the ideal industry leader for the cert three and four space look like to you? Because right now that is the main barrier for entry that people recognize to become a trainer and coach. Okay, let's just go back a step. Uh, as you quite correctly indicated, Alex, people can declare themselves to be an exercise professional, personal trainer without any qualification whatsoever. Uh, and uh, we've had enough conversations this 12 months with local government that they are seriously concerned about people operating in their parks uh, on a weekend uh, running exercise programs in their parks and the uh, council authorities have no idea what qualifications of any of these people have got. So they're talking to us about making sure that they only give a permit for people that have are either registered with Fitness Australia or they've, we have said this person's got a, got a valid qualification. So to come back to your question, and I'll, and I'll use, um, because I, I don't want to tread on unsafe ground. So I'll use the early, early childhood experience again. Um, there's Cert 3s and there's Cert 3s and there's Cert 4s and there's Cert 4s. And there's six week online uh, still uh, in, in early childhood. And there's ones where there is uh, monitored, uh, moderated, adequate competency assessments gone through, practical assessments gone through, practical placements gone through as opposed to people just ticking a box in an online program and coming out and being allowed to look after children under the age of 15 months. Now you would appreciate, you know, the potential dangers of letting that take place in an environment. And I think the same thing applies to um, our, our current sector, exercise sector. You, you've got to make sure that a person graduating, whether it be with a Cert 3 or a Cert 4, whatever, has a complete understanding of what they're actually going to about to enter into, the context of the environment they're going to enter into, the context of people they're going to be working with. I've personally uh, witnessed uh, in, a, in a gym in Victoria where I was a member, a guy of my age coming in for his first session 
uh, being allocated to a uh, an exercise professional who would have been probably 23, 24. I don't know what qualification they had. They must have had something because that gym was registered with us. Um, and this this was this guy's first session, and I was I was literally scared that this guy was going to have a heart attack. You know, this business about go harder, go harder. You know, two more minutes, two more minutes, this sort of stuff. I said to the guy afterwards, both of them. I said to the 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 uh, member and of the trainer, you know, you need to be really careful here because, you know, you don't you don't and and to make things worse, that person had not been put through a pre-exercise screening tool. How did you determine that? Did you ask? I him? asked him. Oh, really? I asked him. So you've got a you've got a multiple layer of potential danger there. Now I don't know because it's not my business and I didn't ask. But you know, he could have had a heart condition. He could have had diabetes. He could have had a whole range of things, but the problem was the the instructor working with him had no idea. Put him on an exercise bike, dial it up and say, go hard, go hard. The guy's sweating like a, you know, like the proverbial. Anyway, so I spoke to, to the two people involved and I spoke to the trainer. Now I wasn't involved in fitness then. I, I mean, I was a CEO of another organization, but I, I just could see the potential risk here. And I spoke to the manager of that service and I don't know whether it was done or not. I would hope it was. But to come back to your question, it's it's the it's not the quantity, it's the quality of the product that you are delivering. Okay. And so I'd want to, I'd want to be reassured, both as a layperson, but also the CEO of Fitness Australia, that that quality was meeting certain standards, and that that person wasn't being signed off just to push them through the sausage machine or just to get them through and then be able to record that such and such a person has graduated. So beyond that, I've got, you know, I don't, there's not much more I can really say because I, I would need to look at individual programs. I mean, I, let me go back a step. My, I started my working life as a teacher. So I fully understand the need for quality education, quality training of a teacher. And that, as we said before, doesn't have to be university, but that person needs to be prepared to deal with a range of contexts a range of individuals and a range of um, presentations that people may present with when they when they come into a gym. And let's also accept that you cannot judge a person as a potential client of a personal trainer or an exercise professional just on what they look like, on what they may tell you. You've actually got to use a bit more mindfulness, and this comes with maturity and experience and competency and and I would hope that the training programs address some of these issues or at least get the person ready to not prejudge or predetermine what that person is that they're going to be dealing with and their abilities and so on. When you're talking about, and I'm sorry to keep referring back to early childhood, but that's, that's my main background. Early childhood uh, educators come from only two potential um, preconceptions. They come from a deficit base or they come from an ability base. In an early childhood coming from a deficit base, they look at a child and say, this child I assess cannot do X, Y, and Z. Or they look at the child and say, I think this child has got limited capacity. Let's find out what they can achieve. Now, the educators that I employ, I made sure they come from the competency assessment, what can they achieve? What can they not achieve based on 
my assessment of them when I first look at them. And I would hope that uh, a person in, an in a fitness environment takes what, what can this person achieve, taking into consideration their context, their whatever. I don't know if that answers your question or not. No, it, but yes, you're right. Yes, of course, that is the bare basis that we need to take into the context of the environmental, individual, emotional, mental, all these variable factors that make up a human being and how physical stress can impact them. Um, and that perspective difference that you were giving in early childhood development, th that could be honed in the cert three and four and fitness that that could be taught and facilitated to look at my maybe a half glass full instead of a half glass empty correct mentality so i'm, I'm kind of putting the piece to pieces together here i actually want to take a a back step early in the conversation we were talking about professional development um and you know maintaining standards like yes pts like we need to be able to, and coaches need to be able to, to maintain a professional standard. You referenced um, Fitness Australia has their CECs um, and ongoing education is really important. I want to clarify uh, because ongoing education could come in many forms. And look, I don't like saying this because especially to a guy like you, but the reality is that at least in all the coaches that I've spoken to, and lived with and lived through over the five, six years is that they just, the majority don't care about Fitness Australia and CECs. And I don't like saying that because like that's, like you guys, I think, I would like to think also have good intentions, okay? But a lot of people, they just, their ongoing education comes through many other forms that they see as more valuable and a CEC to the av above average coach or the, the average coach who's not just beginning in the industry and only knows Fitness Australia doesn't care about CECs because they recognize there's other organizations and people and individual private facilities that can offer um, just uh, something that's even better, but rather that, well, we, why do we need CECs? Because no no one's like, that's not the industry standard. That's a that's a non-for-profit non standard that a lot of people don't really care about, especially strength and conditioning coaches. Like, how do you think about that? Like, yeah. yeah I, I think those people need to have a look in the mirror um, because any professional, so there's a couple of, there's a couple of factors you've just asked that question. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I'll try and try and cover them all off. No, thank you. Let's, let's just talk about professional development. Yeah. Any, any so-called professional who says, I don't need professional development, Shouldn't yeah, be in the industry. Agreed. And that's not what industry. I was referring to, but okay. absolutely. So a person who says to me, Barry, I've been in the industry for 10 years or 20 years, never done CECs, I don't need to. I've got experience over 10 or 20 years. I'd say to them, okay, that's great. Is that 10 or 20 years, 10 or 20 times by one? In other words, you haven't actually progressed. You've just repeated what you've done in the first year. Or is it 10 or 20 years of, of evolution and you growing as a professional. Now, most of them, of course, will say it's the latter. But when you look at them and what they're doing, in many cases, it's the former. And so when I was teaching, you know, it was a standard joke uh, in, in teaching that teachers who thought they didn't need professional development would bring out the same notes for their subject year after year after year. They'd get yellow and yellow and all the rest of it. And they would just go through the same history lesson, 
the same uh, geography lesson, whatever it was, year after year, not adapting to changes in their students' thinking, changes in society and all kinds of stuff like that. So I believe that any professional who says they don't need professional development or that they will choose their professional development and it doesn't have to be independently accredited is, 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 is really whistling in the dark, to be well, quite honest. Let's dig in that one. Like yep. independently accredited. Um, say, for example, many coaches might do a workshop or, or, or a course through a, a private gym or, or even an individual. That's not independently accredited, but that's still, you know, it could be really profound professional development. Why do you think the independent accreditation matters so much? Well, who, who assesses the value of that non-accredited course? Well, that's, that's up, I guess that's up to the individual. Correct. So that comes back to, I guess, my comment before about how do you, how do you assess the value of your professional development? If, it, if you, it, we can all kid ourselves, we go through life learning things. But the whole idea, I mean, theoretically, the argument you're putting up there, uh, Alex, is why get a Cert 3 or a Cert 4? Why not just go and work with a trainer who's been in the business for three or four years? I'll learn from them. I don't need a I don't need independently qualified or a recognised certificate. It, do it doesn't hold water. But, well, having, said, but having said that, the, 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 the independent accreditation doesn't have to be necessarily by Fitness Australia. It could be it could be something which has been recognised by the physiotherapy association, something that's been recognised or developed by um, Les Mills, or you know something something. Else. It has, but it needs to be something which has got credibility. There there are bogus courses and bogus totally. training throughout everywhere in the world, and people you know make up qualifications and, and claim all kinds of skills and stuff. But if it's not has if it hasn't had some sort of independent assessment of it or accreditation of it, I, it straight away in my mind, and, and look, I could be wrong, but to me, I've got to question the credibility. I, I'm not yes, saying, for sure. You know, I'm not saying that's all the case. I'm not saying it's 90% of the case. I'm not saying it's even 20% of the case. But where, whenever there is a case of that and there is a, the ability for the slippage to occur, that actually, in my mind, demeans and, and lowers the whole sector, the whole industry. Okay. So... I can understand it's like, well, individual accreditation, it increases the credibility and authority and trust, right? That you would have and the person would have, oh, I know they've done it through X, Y, Z, this is accredited. That's quite trustworthy compared to doing it through an individual or an organization that is non-accredited. They may have authority and trust in their community, but it's not at the... Mm, I don't know, governance accreditation yeah. maybe that uh, you're referring to. Um, but then I'm thinking, well, what do we do about that? Because you can't, how, how do you accredit tens of thousands of coaches who are offering potentially amazing upskill and development? Like where do you begin to tackle that beast? And, and how do you almost convince individuals to then share a piece of their pie with this accredited organization um, that they might not deem as valuable. Yeah, but we do that already to some degree. So this year we introduced uh, CC points for people who are mentors in the industry and for people who are mentees in the industry. So effectively what we're saying to 
to an Alex Emmanuel, we recognise that you have been in the industry for, you know, X number of years, whatever. Yeah. Um, if you are prepared to take this new graduate under your wing and give them the benefit of your uh, experience and your um, learnings and, I guess, monitor them and, and, you know, work with them to reflect on their own practices and so on, you'll get CEC credits for that. There's no cost for that. That is recognising industry uh, durability and tenure and that sort of gear. Um, similarly, for uh, an OSREP now that is joining a business that may have their own onboarding or own induction um, program to familiarise that new graduate with the equipment, make sure they know how to use it and so on, they will get CEC credits for that as well. So it's not a matter of just saying that there is a finite list of what you can get credit for. There is accreditation for probably anything which has got credibility that applies to be accredited. Now, you know, Fitness Australia gets no money out of accreditation. We don't, we don't get a clip out of, out of any RTO or anyone that's providing CC um, programs. We, we get a fee to accredit their course and then that's it. They often market their courses to the exercise people and those people pay the provider and we, we get nothing out of that. So the reason for the accreditation is to try and I guess put a a framework and I guess some standards around that as well, because it, it's the whole idea is about raising standards, maintaining standards and increasing professionalism. And if we don't do that, then we're never gonna get where we, we talked about before, of being, of being considered an essential service or a uh, in the ideal world, part of allied health. Yeah, it's a, it's a really tricky position because if we just flipped it, Let's just say, because when I say flip it, I mean flip the image of Fitness Australia. Let's say they're like, everybody trusts them. Like people, everybody's trying to get, everybody's trying to register even so much so maybe that they have to say no to some people. Like it becomes this really like high level, like that's, like imagine you had this organization that was that sought after where, um, you know, if you're associated with them, wow, okay. Like I know I'm working with somebody who's really, um, a really well-made professional, well-qualified professional. Um, that is a vision that I think would be great and ideal in, in many people's eyes. Um, however, and this is a uh, question comment from um, a coaching colleague of mine because I'm just trying to get you know just different questions and thoughts from people around me, my peers. Um, problem is trust and image. How do you guys plan to improve the, the image and trust from PTs and coaches to actually make them want to register with you? Because, you know, this coach in particular, she said, I don't trust them. I wouldn't register with them again, especially given now I have the choice to register with things like ASCA, um, and which is Australian Strength and Conditioning Association. Um, and that particularly speaks to strength and conditioning coaches. How do you begin tackling that beast? Yeah, it's interesting, Alex, um, the, the Facebook we did yesterday uh, with uh, a guy, uh, Shay Wheeler, who um, runs a uh, service up in Lismore, he wrote to me uh, a couple of weeks back and said, basically what you just said um, in many ways, and and uh, asked me a few questions and I rang him rather than emailing back and um, said, look, you know, we let me answer these questions and I'll tell you... Um, this is, what, this is what my opinion is. And we did the Facebook Live yesterday. I said, so this is all on public record now, so you can ask the same questions again. 
So when you say to me, trust, I, I, my, my mind goes to what are we talking about? Um, because I'm aware that Fitness Australia has a bad reputation or had a bad reputation and still has got a bad reputation in some, some sectors of the sector. Uh, I, I can't explain what took place, uh, why or what took place. Previously. To, I, I, I can't explain it. All I, what I can say is, and I've said this publicly a number of times, that I think as an industry association, Fitness Australia had dropped the ball in terms of how they operated, that uh, we were um, perhaps not working close enough with the sector, responding to the sector's needs and so on. And probably back in the days when the government funded um, Cert 3 and Cert 4 courses, and there was a huge churn through of you know, new, new graduates coming through and a lot of them joined Fitness Australia and, and so on, there was a there was a good income stream coming through and, and you know, there was no need to necessarily be responsive. But in terms of trust uh, and, and moving forward, unless there is a specific question that a person has got that relates to the last two years, in other words, since I've been here, mm. I really, I don't know what I can do to address, to address that issue. So um, the issue about, I've never said that people have to register with Fitness Australia. Yeah, never said that, and I don't say it now. I mean, there's no way I can't be registered with anybody in Australia, which I think is is a pretty poor situation to be quite honest. But that's you know that's, Do you, that's... someone comment. I don't know if this is true, uh, but we got a comment um, saying there's mandatory Fitness Australia registration for trainers to be able to work in gyms like Fitness First, Good Life, Jets. Um, is that true? That is correct. So if if they uh, if they want to work in a business member of Fitness Australia. They must be, and they are coming into their role, they must be registered with Fitness Australia as an Ausrep. Now, if they already were working with one of those um, uh, franchise groups or any other group for that matter, that are a business member, then um, we don't say to the, we don't say to well, Fitness First or anytime that person who's been working here for three years must now join Fitness Australia. What we say to them that any new people coming in must join Fitness Australia as a as an Ausrep. If they are a member of another registering body, we will give them free membership for the life of that other membership period. So if they were with FitRep, for example, and they've got 18 months membership, we will give them 18 months free membership of Fitness Australia. But when that's due for renewal, they will be expected to join Fitness Australia. Now, as I understand it, that is what was always the situation going back six or seven years ago that those businesses required that. Now, whether that was a Fitness Australia requirement or a business requirement, I don't know, it was before my time, but what the, it was certainly required by those organisations. Fitness Australia then for its own foolishness, I think put into place some obstacles that made it difficult for those businesses to then still ensure that their employees were members of Fitness Australia. So we didn't recognise, for example, a university degree unless they went back and did a two-week module on business or something like that at, at a uh, in the vet sector. We didn't. Um, we just made life very difficult for them, and uh, so a lot of those businesses said, "Look, we want to ensure that they are members of Fitness Australia, but you, Fitness Australia, are making it so difficult. We're not going to do this anymore because we want to make sure we employ the best possible applicant," which I would support 110%. 
So earlier on this year, back in um, at the at the Filex virtual Filex back in May, we relaunched that uh, requirement, and that's after consultation with many of our Ausreps and many of our businesses who said, "Yep, if you make if you make if you remove those obstacles, we accept that we will do that as part of our membership uh, of Fitness Australia as a business, because we understand why you're doing that because you want to raise standards and, and improve professionalism." So we will do that again. So now if you are signed up as a business member of Fitness Australia, you are required to make sure that any new employees coming to work for you are a member of Fitness Australia. What did, to be a business member, what does that actually mean? Well, that means if that's an independent gym or a franchisee or a franchise group, they become, so they join as a business. So okay. a gym joins as a business. So we have a business member and we have an individual member, which is the Ausreps. Oh, okay. So to clarify, just because the terminology was new to me, um, any new, tr like the, the trainers themselves, when they go work at these gyms, no matter the level, no matter the experience, they have to register with Fitness Australia. If that, yes. If they were already working at the gym before March, uh, sorry, May this year, then we would hope that they would they would join, but there is no obligation to do that. But if they're going to work there now, they need to join Fitness Australia as an Ausrep. Now I can appreciate and see the that's a quite a good business um, in endeavor and decision to get a lot of members, right? Because it, it's kind of like a stream. It's kind of like a like a little pyramid where it just bang, bang, bang. You oh, if I want to work for you, I have to get this registration, and then you keep building members. But then. What do people actually get for that? I know it's on your website, but like why make it mandatory um, for people? What do people receive from that? Okay, well, there's, there's, there's two parts to that question. So why make it mandatory? Yeah. And the reason we make it mandatory is that we, we the, business, the businesses need to know that the people working for them are committed to ongoing professional development meet certain standards, have, have valid certifications. So we're about to put in a new IT system, which will take 12 months to put in. That will give us the ability with our Ausreps to say to a business owner, uh, Bill Blobs, Mary Smith, uh, their CPR is due to renew in three months' time. Mm. Um, we will keep you advised when it's renewed. If they don't, we'll let you know so that you're mitigating the risk as a business owner. It will give us the ability to... Um, and the, and the businesses want this as well. It'll give us the ability of a person who, for whatever reason, uh, doesn't no longer meets their registration requirements. So they haven't done their CECs, they haven't done their CPR first aid. They may have had a criminal conviction. They may not have had a working with children check, et cetera. We will advise the business of that situation. So it actually, it's that governance um, model that we talked about before. And for the consumer, it means that the person they are dealing with in that gym is actually being audited and is and then they can have some confidence in that. So no different to a teacher who has to be registered to work in a school, they are audited. No different to a physiotherapist that has to be a member of the physiotherapy association, whatever, they'll be audited and so on and so on. So that's the reason for that. That's the reason for the mandating. It's to actually lift the boat, lift the tide, and make sure all the boats are floating and not sinking. To come back to your second question, what do they get for? Well, can we pause there because that's actually interesting. After we get to the what did I get? It's like I I, th I know that would be criticised. Like if people just took a snippet of that, they could they would like soundbite criticised. But let's consider 
what's the alternative? I'm, I'm, I want to think about this, but like, if fitness is true, like I can see what you guys are trying to do. You're trying to put in governance, mandatory professional development through that mandatory registration, through reminders, how hey, you need to get this, that, and the other. Um, but there doesn't seem to be an alternative system in place unless the gyms did it, the businesses did it themselves. But I can see why they wouldn't because that's a huge task in of itself. And, and not many, and I'm not saying they shouldn't because ideally they would, right? Private gyms, they would put these systems in place. But are there any examples that you see of any other gyms putting these systems in place themselves? Or I, I think gyms are coming to Fitness Australia because it solves that problem. Well, it, it solves that problem as a, as, a, as a bonus to also being part of industry associations trying to work with the businesses and the OSREPs to raise the standards and raise, raise the professionalism. I mean, let's not forget, Alex, that there is no requirement to be, a, to be registered with Fitness Australia unless you're working in a business member site. I mean, there was, there was you know, comments on, on our social media saying Fitness Australia is making all, all exercise professionals registered with Fitness Australia. That's not true. We're only, we're only saying if you're working one of our business members, you must be registered. And let's not forget the business member when they sign up as a business, know that's the expectation or requirement. And we've had a growth in business membership during COVID this year of 15%. The businesses like what we are trying to do in terms of advocating on their behalf, raising the profile of a sector, but also raising standards and professionalism. And so the business owner can know that the people working for them are actually being monitored and audited to make sure that they actually meet those standards. So it is, there, there's no other, I mean, yes, people can look at that with cynical eyes and all the rest of it, but if you're trying to raise professionalism and raise standards, there's no other way you can do this. You cannot rely on people doing it voluntarily because you will, it will not happen. Well, it'll, it can happen, but it'll just be inconsistent, right? You'll get inconsistent well, results. Some people will be great. Some people will be below average. It'll be everywhere, right? But you'll get people that won't, that won't comply that said they are. That's, That's true. Yeah, you'll get, you'll get liars and you'll get the whole mixed bag. Um, but so to clarify, you guys do tell people to register within Australia under that B2B relationship that you have with gyms slash new trainers coming through those gyms. The, the businesses tell their staff to register with Fitness Australia. Okay. Um, through the requirement of Fitness Australia, but does the businesses get like, obviously businesses need to make profit and money. Do they get financial benefit from this agreement? No. Okay. So it's completely voluntary just to improve their own standards. What they, what they will get. And so so let's go back to where we started this conversation about how can we raise and how can we get to be an essential service? How can we become an allied health? Yeah. One of the one of the missing links, and I'm happy to acknowledge this, uh, where Fitness Australia needs to lift its game is educating the consumer of the value of being a member of Fitness Australia. So let's let's jump ahead three or four years time in the ideal world. And let's have a situation whereby uh, a a member of Fitness Australia, a business, a gym, or, or a guy that's running, or girl that's running a boot camp, whatever, has on their promotional materials, we are a member of Fitness Australia, and we have four or five ticks. And that means that you as a potential consumer coming in here can take, you can be assured that the contract you sign will meet certain standards. 
that you'll be that all the staff in this organization are working under a code of practice that is agreed and adhered to that the COVID safe and hygiene environment is at, is at the best possible protocols for your ongoing health and safety that the professional that you are working with not only meets certain standards but is committed to ongoing professional development that is how you're going to raise the standards and the profile of this industry that's how you're going to grow the industry that's how you're going to get more consumers coming in and joining gyms that's how you're going to get government taking us uh, taking us seriously and giving us respect so that when the next COVID comes or whatever it is comes in the future, we are consulted and considered an essential service. Why is it that a physiotherapist could continue to operate in a gym running a rehab program during all the COVID lockdowns, but a personal trainer with exactly the same program could not? Well, and that's be be go ahead. Yeah, that's because of the way one is respected, one's got credibility and one hasn't. Now, if yeah. we want to address that, and I would hope the industry does want to address that, if we do want to raise that thing, it, you, you can't do that without a little bit of pain. And a little bit of pain is for the bigger gain. And so if there's another way of doing this, tell me all about it. But I, I do not believe there's another way of doing this without the sector working together and cooperating and all contributing towards that to that situation. So no, there's no benefit for business financially immediately, but down the track, there will be a benefit for that business and the people working in that business because they will be able to market themselves, promote themselves as, as meeting certain standards. So if you have children, I don't know if you do have children or not, but some of the people viewing this will probably have children. If they go to a, a childcare service or a kindergarten, you can absolutely guarantee if that kindergarten or childcare has been rated as exceeding standards by through the quality accreditation program, they will be advertising that and promoting it and they will charge a premium for it. And so ideally down the track, Businesses will, that do this and comply with this and are part of it will be able to charge a premium because they are providing a better product. Hmm. Do you think that will come through Fitness Australia? They will be the regulatory body or do you see other candidates being equally viable? You know, to be quite honest, Alex, I don't know the answer to that question because if we were to become a regulatory body, yeah. That would involve, we're going to have to look at how we run membership because you cannot have a conflict of interest where you are... Um, Non-for-profit? Well, no, no, not for profit's not an issue because most, most regulatory bodies, I would think, would be not-for-profit. But you'd have to look at the membership protocols and criteria because you'd have to have the, you'd have to have the ability to sanction members. And, you know, that, that's not an impossibility and, and there's probably other models around the place. But I, I honestly don't know the question of that. Uh, and if, if, I mean, I know some people have said to us, Fitness Australia, should we, in fact, some people already thought we were regulating. Well, we yeah. don't. We, we, we just have a very light governance. We do, we do um, suspend OSREPs. We do uh, deregister OSREPs um, if they don't, you know, if there's a criminal conviction or, you know, other reasons and things like that. But, um, and we have increased our number of audits as well to make sure that in, in anticipation of something happening, but if, if nothing else, we're gonna increase our audits anyway, because that's part of the mandated employment exercise so we can guarantee to businesses. But I'm, I'm not sure where that's gonna go, whether, whether it be an independent regulator uh, that we work with. I mean, obviously we, we would have some input into what the model may look like uh, because we represent members whether we are that model would have to be determined whether we're, we're, 
I, I would let me answer the question straight. If we were to be the regulator, mm. that would be with a mandate of our membership. If we didn't have that mandate, that would not happen. Yeah, because that's the barrier for entry in order to, um, how do I say, like, yeah, that makes sense. It's like there's there's a membership associated. There's got to be a barrier to get in the door. Um, to and it's not just the membership price you pay, right? I would assume there would be some type of assessment um, of the individual and their qualifications and their competency. Would you say? And, yeah, and the facility. Okay. And 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 also, you know, we want to make sure that if people are running boot camps, they're running them in a safe environment. Yeah, it's it it would it would go over the full gamut. And then we're also let's not when when, when the government. And policymakers talk about gyms. They're not just talking about bricks and mortar facilities or boot camps. Mm. Unfortunately, for the other providers, they include yoga, Pilates, dance, martial arts. All of those areas in the government thinking is considered as a gym. Now, that's created real problems for those for those particular subsets because, you know, why? How? Why would a yoga studio, which is low intensity, social distancing by definition small groups why would they be shut down at the same time that a, a big box with you know but but they were so we have to also consider how we relate engage with those sectors as well because otherwise they're going to get left by themselves out there in the in the yeah void as well. that's that's a that's a good point and important to mention because they definitely matter but i think it comes down to well those sectors aren't regulated either and it seems like this respect by the government is given if you have you're a part of the allied health network aka you have some type of governance credibility um someone regulating you uh to some extent yeah um, and look, we're part way there because we were the only industry association to be spoken to by the by the various state governments yeah how, how was that conversation how how were you able to tap into talking to the government what was the success or failure of that well basically because we had a very high profile in the media arguing for um, you know, against the COVID uh, lockdowns, putting out data showing that, you know, you're much safer in a gym than you are in a restaurant. The number of visits uh, per gym, uh, per state, compared to the number of transmissions and instances of the virus using our own research, overseas research. Um, we launched a very uh, high profile advocacy campaign and we, we've had fantastic media over the last six to nine months. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of businesses have joined us because the, the upside, if there is an upside of COVID, is it's demonstrated, I think, to the sector, the value and importance of having a strong voice talking and advocating on your behalf. I mean, there's other industry associations out there, but I didn't see them in the media. Yeah, it definitely made some noise and that's valuable. Um, and that makes it probably the most hopeful candidate to become a regulatory body. Um, is that... a I know you say you don't know if it'll happen. Is that an important mission to you and your colleagues in the future? Or is it, if it happens, it happens? Regulation? Yes. Uh, let me answer it this way. I, I think that if the sector doesn't take this opportunity to reposition itself, it's gonna, it's lost a great opportunity to do that. If we go back to, as you were pre-COVID, with the same infighting, with the same people throwing rocks at Fitness Australia, with the same, uh, you know, lack of trust that you referred to before, without giving the association under its current management, and I'm not talking about just myself, 
I'm talking about the new board as well, because the board has changed its structure as well in the last 12 months. Without giving it the benefit of the doubt, well, then I think it's it'll be an opportunity lost. So, you know, at my age, I'm not here indefinitely quite clearly. Uh, I'll be here as long as I feel I can contribute, as long as the board obviously wants me to stay. But um, we, as I said to you before, Alex, it would be suicidal for the organisation to go off by itself. Now, that's not to say that in it, with our existing membership, we don't create some sort of internal governance, increase our own governance that, that, that then engages with the government. I think that would be perhaps counterproductive. Uh, that, may, that may cause other gyms to join us. They want to be part of it. It may cause some of our business members, our members and Ausreps to leave because they don't want to be part of it. I, that's, that's an unknown factor. But until we start the consultation to get to, to um, gets a bit more input into this and some and some feed you know some feedback and some constructive participation rather than people standing outside throwing rocks you know that we, you can't trust fitness australia and so on yeah i've got i've got no time for that to be quite honest because it's it's just a waste of energy well, that's why these conversations are so important because it allows an open dialogue where we can discuss these ideas and i appreciate you making yourself accessible to this because a lot of CEOs and faces of businesses, they just hide behind reports and, and, and public statements. So one Barry, thank you. Keep doing this because this is how we can actually like, you have a perspective that a lot of coaches aren't hearing a lot of health professionals. They'll just read something or they'll just get around in their circle and reinforce the same ideas. And then probably the same thing can be said of like some of your colleagues. Maybe you don't hear some of like in the trenches what what some of the coaches and trainers are doing here. So I think it's a very valuable conversation. And I just want to as it is can be uncomfortable and just like not the most optimistic conversation at times. But I guess I wanted to add that caveat and thank you for doing that. No, that's, that's a pleasure, Alex. And at the end of the day, I mean... I don't have a personal agenda here. I've, I've, I have experience of many years as a CEO in the not-for-profit sector with associations, with national accreditation programs, etc. But I don't have a personal agenda here. I, I will, you know, I mean, if I can help the sector move ahead, that's great. If the sector doesn't want to, that's good. That's the sector's choice. Uh, but, I, but I do say again, I, I really believe that there's an opportunity here that we really need to grab because that's the cloud silver lining. Um, and, and I welcome the opportunity to speak with you today. And anyone, anytime you want to do this, I'm more than happy to jump on board. Awesome. Uh, I, will, I will answer questions. If I can't answer them, I'll take them on notice and I'll come back to you with an answer. But I'm not, I've got no time to bullshit. <laughs> There's no yeah, point. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, if you don't mind, like I do actually have a couple of questions from, uh, from just people who have asked. Um, like I think part of our conversation about you know trust and you know the history of that and Fitness Australia is people have asked well where does the registration money go and what does it pay for? Yeah. Okay. So we are a not for profit, um, but that doesn't mean we don't make a small profit or a surplus, and that surplus is invested back into the organisation and our membership. So I mentioned to you before that we're about to commit to a very it's about four hundred and fifty odd thousand. For a new IT system, which will be make our uh, our job much easier, but also mean Ausreps 
interacting with us in terms of loading up their you know, verification of their CCs, et cetera, much easier as well. It also goes to pay for the advocacy we've been doing this year. It also pays for research. We've done six research um, things this year as well in terms of things like the incidence of the coronavirus in our gyms, we commissioned some research on the impact on mental health of uh, people who, when the gyms were closed and how they were reacting, coming back to it again. Um, it also goes towards, we pay for the HR and IR service that's available free to our members. This year, we also, did, of course, did reduce the price of membership and we also gave free membership for an extended period during the COVID lockdowns. Um, it's, uh, it, it basically provides the, the administration capacity here. I don't get a bonus, none of my staff get a bonus. Uh, I haven't had a pay increase in the two years I've been here. I'm not complaining about that. I'm just sharing that information with you. Since coming here, I've um, diminished the staff size by 40% to make us more, to get rid of, I guess, some of our overhead costs to make sure that where the money we are making is going back into services. We provide accreditation for our OSREPs at no cost. That, that costs us to do that. Um, so there's a whole range of benefits that, that do come. And we're working on some new benefits as well. We, we have a um, submission in with the Federal Health Department at the moment, whereby we want Federal Health to fund for all exercise professionals, not just our members, all exercise professionals. So we're talking about 40,000 people over a 12 month period. Free training in mental health first aid, because I have a strong commitment to that myself. I believe that should be mandated, uh, but free. And also eating disorder guidelines free of charge as well. And I'm pretty hopeful we're gonna get that funded by the government to do that, so. Okay, that's good to know because that that uh, clarifies, I think some people's mistrust. So basically the registration money is a reinvestment into the company, into the services they offer uh it obviously pays for the board's uh, you know income your income as a ceo the board aren't paid uh, uh alex we have a independent chair who's paid a small honorarium but the elected directors are paid nothing they get nothing out of fitness australia wait so, so they work for free how, how do they get how do you and them get paid the board directors yeah for free they're volunteers my staff are paid your and sorry, so what was that last thing you said? And you're what? My staff and myself are paid, but yeah. the board is not paid except for the independent director who gets a small uh, okay. director. So uh, it's independent chair, sorry. So it's quite a small amount of staff that actually gain an income from the, the registration. Eighteen. Eighteen. I appreciate you sharing. Okay. Good to know. That's the type of stuff that helps people just establish like clearer lines of communication and trust. Um, so thank you for the transparency. Uh, question from, we got another one live. Is Fitness Australia looking to introduce some sort of assessment uh, of their Oz reps uh, to be devil's advocate? I think coaches and PTs could look at the registration as somewhat invalid because it's too easy to acquire. Um, I believe all you need to do is pay a subscription fee and then turn up to a few kettlebell TRX courses each year and you're sorted question mark. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not quite that similar, Alex, but we, we have introduced this year, a we're just running out of pilot uh, for accreditation. So this is actually, uh, if you wish to, you can apply to be accredited by Fitness Australia. And that is independently, that goes to an independent uh, process as well. There is no charge for that. And the reason we've done that is because 
when I go and look at my local gym and I look at the CVs of the personal trainers in the reception, none of them, they're all actually members of Fitness Australia, but none of them actually put on their CV a member of Fitness Australia. And I said, why is that? They said, well, what does registration mean? Hmm. Interestingly, two of those three at that particular gym are now in the accreditation pilot program. So they see the value of being accredited. So we will be accrediting those who wish to, again, at no charge, it's voluntary, but we would hope that the majority of our odds reps will take on accreditation because we expect our business members will then pay a premium to have their staff who are accredited. So there is a, your questioner is quite right. Registration can be achieved through us or any other registering body or not registration at all. But that's why I've introduced accreditation. We will also be introducing next year specialised accreditation, people that want to work with people with special needs, people want to work with people, uh, with young people, people want to work with my generation, the age cohort, people want to work outdoors and so on. And again, those modules will be, if not free, uh, at cost. But the, the general accreditation is free. And we're just about to open that up to a new group um, because we're going to take some at a time because it's fairly labour intensive. Okay, thank you for that. Um, another question would be, do, like, what do you think Fitness Australia's main point of difference is that they can offer to the table for, you know, strength and conditioning coaches over other organizations like ESSA, Exercise Sports Science Australia, over ASQA, um, or ASCA, I should say, especially if they were to be a, a governing body in the future? Like, what, what do you think Fitness Australia's main point of difference is compared to those other organizations? Yeah, well, ESSA primarily operates in the, um, in the university graduate sector. Um, we do recognise this as uh, uh, membership as part of our mandated membership uh, okay. to our gyms. Cool. Um, but so I, I, I think S is in a different market. So, I, I, you know, if, if you are a university qualified person or you are working in a, as an exercise physiologist or whatever, then this is probably the appropriate place for you. Okay. If, you if you're working in our sector, our sector is the appropriate place for you. The, the ASQA, I, I really can't comment on that because I don't know much about them. So I... I can't comment. No, that's okay. I, I think um, just alluding to a distinguishment between strength and conditioning and personal training is uh, what's happening, I think, naturally through this conversation. Although maybe we should all integrate together, but that's a different kind of another battle to I think, fight. I think one of my colleagues in Melbourne, uh, Scott, is having some discussions with someone from the strength and conditioning organization about how we can, you know, dovetail together. Yeah. Uh, but beyond that, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, that's okay. You, you guys are speci very specifically with personal training, education, and 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 um, marketing. So that makes complete sense. Uh, what do you say? Like, I know you didn't come from this uh, this sector, but um, what do you see changing now in the personal trainer trends, um, future trends that you also anticipate? Um, and what personal trainer education companies maybe should focus on in the coming years to adjust around them? Okay, well, I think coming forward in, the, in your personal trends, I think there's going to be a continuation of the virtual training. So a lot of the, lot of the businesses that started that to provide a service to their members and keep the, you know, the customer relationship management going during the lockdowns, most of the ones I've spoken to are going to continue to do that because they see it as a funnel for people graduating from at-home training or in the office to actually joining a gym looking for the social connection and so on. So I'm pretty sure that's going to keep going. Um, I was at a, a visitor gym up in Queensland uh, last last week. Um, 
it's actually it's not a gym, it's a wellness centre. It is just mind-blowing as to what they have got and the facilities they have for their for their membership. It's not, not open yet, but it'll be opening very shortly. They have they have a gym, but they also have all the virtual stuff in the in the spin cycle room. They've got spas, they've got saunas, they've got um, Pilates, they've got uh, it's 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 high end, uh, but it is I think one of the ways that some of the sector is going to move. Interestingly, their membership at the moment is ninety percent female, which is which in itself is quite interesting development. I think there's a real opportunity for my age cohort to um, to be in you know, to be targeted. We did some research earlier this year, which shows that the baby boomer generation consider themselves the most active, which I found quite quite challenging. Um, but then when you actually dig into that and they, they regard gardening and, and walking as activity, which, which it is obviously for that group, then you can begin to understand that. But they, the age cohort has got the money, they've got the time and they've got the inclination. So it really, I mean, the gym I go to, I'm the oldest person there by country mile. And uh, I think there's a real opportunity there to, to branch into more specialised um, training, I guess, to work with people with special needs. The NDIS is an area which is really untapped at the moment. You know, there's a lot of people uh, in, in NDIS programs that would benefit tremendously from physical activity uh, under the guidance of a person that knows what they're doing. Uh, and also there's, there's money available there. We've got some, um, we've been in discussions with the government about working in schools to take trainers into schools, uh, starting with early childhood sector, to introduce exercise programs into kindergartens, childcare centres, primary schools, secondary schools. That'll create huge opportunities for employment for exercise professionals and personal trainers. I think also there's gonna be a trend to exercising outdoors. I mean, I, I participate in park run because that's what I like doing but I think there's gonna be more growth in that sort of area as well. So potentially move away from traditional bricks and mortar facilities. But really, I think the sky's the limit, particularly if we can reposition our sector. And when I say our sector, I mean the full range of our sector, not just physical facilities, into mainstream, mainstream community. There is the, the emphasis on exercise uh, and it goes back to the gapper that we've referred to before, Alex, There's and every state government now has got voucher programs to get people exercising. Some of those gyms and personal trainers can use, some can't. We're having discussions with those state governments that don't allow it at the moment to try and get access to our trainers for those programs. But I, I think, you know, the sky's the limit, but the sector has got to move itself beyond where it currently sits. And it's got to behave in a way which is more professional rather than this territoriality, which I, which I witness and this internal fighting about trust and, mm. and you know, what, what's hidden agendas and this sort of carry on. But having these conversations helps clear those things up, which I think, or clarify things, which I think is great. Um, thank you for that. Uh, just to finish off, I, I know, I think we touched on this a little bit, but, you know, um, one last comment question from somebody who wanted to ask this was, and again, I think we touched on it, but if you want to summarize it, because I know it's the feelings of many people, um, OSREP uh, registration that you guys have is being stated to make you credible trainer based on what? 
uh, a person willing to pay for it. Credibility in this industry lies in what you do for people, the care, the relationships you build, the collaboration between you and other industries, aka physios. Being Osrep doesn't mean you start being someone you are not because you paid for it. What do you think about that? Uh, I'm not. I'm not quite understanding the question, but, I, but let me try and answer. Or just that. a general comment. Yeah. So a general comment is, I have no argument that an individual personal trainer, exercise professional, can get credibility and respect from within their closed circle through their own behaviour, their own performance. No argument, no doubt whatsoever. Okay. But if the sector, as a sector, wants to get sector credibility. Yeah. In sector respect, you must have an industry association and ideally you have the vast majority of people practicing in that profession. And we want to we want to be considered professionals as members of that. I cannot think of any profession that is regarded in the wider community by the media, by government, by health, by private, uh, by health departments, by health insurers any profession that's regarded as professional that does not require a professional association, ongoing development and membership of that association. Now, I'm happy to be proven wrong, but if there is any that, uh, that don't require that, they are the minority and the exception. But uh, quite honestly, Alex, I cannot think of any. If you want to be a teacher, you got to be registered. Yeah. If you want to be a doctor, you got to be registered. If you want to be a lawyer, you got to be registered. Yep. I'm trying to think both sides. I'm just trying to think like what would trying to get outside of myself, what could be the counter, but um I think I'd need to really reflect on that. I that sounds like a pretty reasonable response from a sector perspective to build trust from a government level in order to get those perks and and how do I say? Yeah, those, those perks that all those allied health professionals get, it seems like that is needed in some capacity. And to round out the conversation, it may or may not be Fitness Australia, but it sounds like you guys need to get some more feedback first, especially from this survey, before you can discuss that further. Is that accurate? Well, the feedback will come from the survey through the analysis in the middle of January. Then we will then we will release to the sector what that analysis is. Okay. What we propose to do moving forward, depending right. on what that analysis is. Let me just come back to one analogy to, to finish, Alex. Yeah. Um, we, we've had some very informal discussions with uh, uh, the AMA in Australia um, about who's, who's the AMA? Australian Medical Association. Okay. Now there's there's a trend there's a trend internationally now for doctors to for more enlightened doctors to prescribe to many of their patients what's called a social prescription, and that's a prescription to. It may be, you know, rather than taking medication for your situation, what about if you go out for a walk in the park? What about if you go down to the beach? What about if you start exercising? And the the in the UK, uh, it's now quite common practice for many doctors to recommend to their patients that they go and join a gym and they uh, take part in some physical activity or exercise under the... Uh, watchful eye of a, an exercise professional. There is no way in the world that that is ever going to happen in Australia unless those doctors have confidence that the organisation, the gym, the individual they're referring a patient to 
has got some oversight, independent external oversight for one very good reason. They're not going to put their patient at risk and they're not going to be subject to a public liability claim when it all goes pear-shaped. So if we want to, if we want to really take ourselves seriously and get the rest of the Australian community to take ourselves seriously, we've got to move beyond our individual bubbles and really start to think widely. And, and I would encourage any of your viewers on this who are or are not members of Fitness Australia to contact me directly. If they've got a question, I'm happy to answer it. I'm happy to come back on to this with you at some time in the new year. But I'd encourage me more than that. I'd actually encourage them to join Fitness Australia and be part of this change process. Give, give us the chance, give me the chance as a CEO to work with them to make this change. Then if we don't deliver, don't renew. But, you know, get on board. How can they contact you, Barry? Uh, well, it's it's barry.elvish, B-A-R-R-I-E dot elvish, E-L-V-I-S-H at fitness.org.au. Okay. Thank you for that. I ho- uh, appreciate the access you're willing to give people. I hope it doesn't... Uh, if people got more questions, there's the place right there. If you want to actually make a difference and open up dialogues of open, honest communication, here is the opportunity. Do you think, to finish off, is there anything else you would encourage people to do to help create a better change towards a better future of this industry? Look, I, I think the best thing we can do is encourage people to be involved in the changes that are necessary. Um, don't don't rest on on uh, on past successes or in a in a comfort zone. If we if if in, if if the individuals want the sector to be better, which I'm hoping they do, because we're all going to benefit from that, and our and you know students and and consumers and all the rest of it. Then really, as I've said a number of times now, Alex, th- there's an opportunity here, but this window is going to close, and it's going to close fairly quickly, assuming that COVID goes away until the next COVID comes. And there will be another COVID or there'll be something else which is going to cause the same sort of disruption. No one could have anticipated what's happened this year at the start of this year. You know, you cast your mind back, the bushfires are now part of people's memory. Right. But that was this year. Yeah. And, you know, it, we, we need to grasp this opportunity and for, you know, the very small investment of being prepared. And that investment I would hope would be joining Fitness Australia. If that's a stretch too far, the investment should be have an open mind and let it, you know, work with us rather than standing on the outside throwing rocks. It, that's not going to help anybody. Okay. Barry Elvish, this conversation I was looking forward to and I really appreciate your candor and the ability to take tough questions because you're not in a necessarily a favorable position that most people would want to be in. Um, and I understand that and I want to recognize that and respect that and appreciate your time and communication for that. And I look, for, we look forward to seeing those results, what happens in January. Um, are there any last parting thoughts, comments, asks of our audience you would have? Yeah, look, I, I guess, um, you know, you say I'm not in a favorable position. What I can say is that uh, our members certainly view what we're trying to do, I think, with, with positivity. Uh, and and that'll be, I guess, validated when we come out with our findings and, and we talk about the next steps. But I take comfort in the fact that we've had new businesses join this year. They understand what it means in joining and having to mandate the employment of their OSREPs and so on. 
they understand where we're trying to go with with improved governance and auditing and stuff like that but they also understand the value of having a strong organization industry association so i take some comfort from that having said that i'm not stupid enough or naive enough to know that there's not people out there that want me to fail so you know that's life that is life how many uh, last how many members does uh, fa have uh we've got um Two and a half thousand business members, which makes up about 60% of the gyms in Australia. We have uh, almost 6,000 student members, which, we've, we've, which is a record number for us. And we have uh, about 18,000 sole traders and Ausrips. All right, cool. Well, let's see what happens over these next few years and see how it can grow. Can only go upwards. Thanks, right. Alex. Thank you, Barry, so much. Appreciate you. Bye. Bye. All right, there it is. Barry Elvish, CEO of Fitness Australia. Look, uh, I know this is a tough conversation to have. I know some people might even be critical of me on maybe not asking every single question that they wish I asked in the way that they wish I asked it. Um, but I did the best I could with the flow to honor the flow and natural authenticity of the conversation and my character and how I prefer to conduct these conversations and just talk and communicate with other human beings. And so look, this changed my perspective in a different way on Fitness Australia in a more optimistic, positive way. To be honest, it clarified some things. Not everything was super optimistic and positive. Some of it was questionable. I didn't agree with all of it, but that's okay. We don't have to agree on everything. We just have to find some common ground to which we can build on and work together to collaborate because what's the alternative? What other organization is as popular or is like, there's not many as popular or in positions of control or able to communicate to the government like Fitness Australia have done. And I think there's a power in that and an opportunity in that if we can if we can work together. I think anytime like don't like don't let us separate ourselves. Don't let us separate ourselves through, you know, our own dogmas. Like let's find some common ground, build together and I think that can start with the better conversations we have around this. Like a lot of top conversations I have around uh, this type of stuff are very toxic, especially whenever Fitness Australia is brought up around your average strength and conditioning coach. And I say strength and conditioning because personal trainers, early ones are generally less clued in around rolling this stuff and less kind of dogmatic about it. it you know, generally SSC coaches and longtime health professionals is it's negative. But share this with somebody, share this conversation with somebody, I would say, who has that perspective, right? I filmed and was in the conversation. This is not my first conversation with these guys. I've spoken to Bill Moore. Well, Christian Woodford did. I filmed it, documented it, and, and distributed it. So this is a battleship that is slow moving, but that we, this hasn't happened before where these open dialogue has ever been this accessible for these types of guys. So there is an optimism in that to create change, but we have to just let go of our emotion and dogma and really try and step back, look outside ourselves and be like, what's the information objectively? What can we do about it individually and systemically? And it begins with us and the conversations we have. I'll leave it there.
Thank you guys for watching. This was the last Orphic podcast for 2020. It's been a hell of a year. I've been so honored and grateful to speak to some of the most incredible, amazing health professionals and people learn so much. And I hope it's been a, a, a colorful board of different people and lessons that you guys can take. To be honest, I feel like I should be paying some of these individuals a lot of money for their time, education and wisdom. But we give it for free and we conduct them for free. And we're fortunate enough to even uh, some of the most of these people, it's all just because they want to share and they want to get their message out. So, thank you guys for uh, supporting and watching and we and I will keep doing our best to help push this industry in a better direction. If you have feedback, ways that we can do that, let us know because we want to work together and get better as well. And if you want to hop on board and do your Cert 3 and 4 in fitness with a company like us that may resonate with you and the direction that we're going and the values that we have, then let us know. Otherwise, I'm Alexander Emmanuel Sandalis. Strength of Sard is back. If you want to find out who, where, where you can find me, you can look up my name or Strength of Sard. I just had to do a little plug there because I'm very energized and excited to share with the world. Thank you, guys. See you in 2021. And don't expect... All your problems for 2020 to go away just because the calendar year ticks over to 2021. I'm about to talk about this very soon.